Friends, I don't know about you, but some scriptures um, just kind of cut me to the heart. You know, I, I come here every week. You know, that's part of my job. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I'm just like you probably. I'm not always inspired by the scriptures or uh, moved in a certain way. Um, but some passages just sort of are able to break through and pierce through the, the deafness and the blindness and the hardness of heart that, that I have at times, right? And that's what, of course, Hebrews says in the second reading. It, the word of God can be like a sword. It's as piercing as a, a double-edged sword that can pierce through the walls that we put up to protect us in our status quo. This gospel of the rich young man is one of those for me. When I hear it, I'm unsettled, very uncomfortable uh, with this passage. And I don't know if you felt the same way, but it's kind of like, right, this man asks a, a question that I think we all are interested in. Like, Lord, what do I need to do to get to heaven? Right? And his answer is kind of unsettling. Because from, I think from all descriptions today of this rich young man, like this guy would be a good guy. Right? Like he follows all the commandments. I mean, he would meet our definition of just a good person. Right? And for us today, mainly, a good person is the only sort of standard we have for getting to heaven. You're a good person. And yet, at this time in this man's life, he's excluded from that kind of union with God because he isn't able to move past this being a good guy. And so it unsettles me. It, 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 it challenges me. And it's interesting, and I think it's worth reflecting on kind of the, the three stages that Jesus walks this rich man young through and what it means to be a full-fledged, mature disciple of Jesus because I think it's our path too. And it might help us to reflect on like where I'm at with those. I want to capture them in, with three Ds. Uh, the Decalogue, this, uh, detachment and discipleship. Decalogue, detachment, and discipleship. So the first thing that Jesus asks this guy when he says, how do I get to heaven? How do I inter inherit eternal life? He says, you know, do you follow the commandments? That's the first step. That's kind of like a foundation. Right? And so he lists off the Decalogue. I'm using the Decalogue. The Decalogue's the Greek word for ten words or ten phrases. It's what the, the Ten Commandments are called, the Decalogue. And Jesus, it's interesting, he starts with the second tablet of the Decalogue. Right? Only the, the commandments that deal with our treatment of others. Right? The first three deal with our love of God. The last seven deal with our love of neighbor. And so he lists off the second tablet of the Decalogue. How are you doing with the commandments of love of neighbor? And this man says, I think, genuinely, I've mastered those from my youth. Some people think he's being disingenuous there. He doesn't know what the commandments imply. Maybe that's true to some extent, but it says Jesus looks on him with love. And so I can't help but think he takes this man at, at face value. That this man has been really scrupulous about fulfilling the basic commandments of God regarding love of neighbor. 
And so the first thing we have to look at is that the commandments are a kind of foundation of our moral and spiritual progress. We don't like to think that. We're sort of commandment averse. We, we, we don't like rules, right? But it's interesting, Jesus starts with that. Right? Jesus starts with the commandments. As if he's saying, you know, God gave you these commandments as just kind of guardrails, right? Guideposts to make sure you don't go off the railing too far. Right? These are kind of big things. That if you get on this trajectory, you're, you're bound to end up in disaster. Right? It's like God set us up with a game of, of bumper bowling. Bumper bowling. That's what they do when you're not very good at bowling, so I've played a lot of it. Right? And they set up the bumpers in the gutter so that your ball can never go in the gutter. Right? And so then you're pretty good, uh, amazingly. Though you're still not great because you still don't. You still aren't good, usually. But you don't throw it in the gutter all the time, which is what I used to do. And it's kind of like God says, okay, I'm going to set you up with a game of bumper bowling, okay, in the moral life. I'm going to make sure you don't fall into the gutter with these commandments. These are basic guidelines, right, to make sure that we stay somewhat on the right path. We all know, of course, that the commandments are not enough. Rules are not enough, right? We all know that we can get more attached to the rule than what the rule is meant to protect. We, we know this. We know that we introduce children to rules, right, as, as a kind of foundation, but eventually we have to be able to convince the child why the rule has a purpose. Like what's the point of the rule, or else as, as adults we don't buy it. Right? We need a why for the, for the rule. We also know that rules can never capture the joy and the beauty of the, of, of the living of of whatever it is you're living. You know, I was thinking about this analogy, like, let's say, I'm a, tennis is my pastime, of course, let's say the game of tennis uh, disappears from the earth. Okay? Now, I hope that doesn't happen, though I'm a little nervous about pickleball. Uh, <laughs> pickleball is kind of taking over tennis, and it really upsets me, uh, and it really makes me nervous. Uh, so don't ask me to play pickleball, because I'm going to say no, because I'm a tennis purist. I like tennis. I don't want to play pickleball. All right? But pickleball is taking over. It's driving me nuts. But let's say pickleball takes over tennis. And then 250 years from now, tennis has not existed for 250 years, but they find a rule book, the USDA rule book, with all the tennis rules. Right? From that rule book, could you possibly capture, right, the joy and the skill and the art of the game of tennis? Of course not. Right? So the, the rules, the commandments are not the fullness. Right? They're just a foundation. You have to know the rules of tennis to play. Right? You've got to know the basic skills to play, but the rule book can't possibly capture the fullness of the moral life. Jesus starts with it, so it's a foundation for us. The second thing, so after he says he's mastered the commandments, he says, okay, but you're still lacking in one thing. Right? You're too attached to your money, too attached to your possessions. You've got to give it away. And this is the second D. This is detachment. So once we have the rules of the game down, the basic guardrails of the moral life, we have to start to cultivate the virtues that help us to excel in that. 
Right? It's not enough to know just the rules. We've got to start cultivating the kind of life and the kind of virtues and positive values that allow us to excel at that. It includes things like generosity, and that includes, in Jesus' analogy, making sure that we're not excessively attached to any worldly thing. Because it's so easy when that worldly thing takes on number one, it's so easy to mistake that as the primary good of life instead of God. All of those things are so addictive. In this case, it's money with this guy. It could be wealth, or that is wealth. It could be honor and pleasure or, or, or prestige or power. Right? It could be any of those, but they're all addictive. They're all addictive. And so the fear of Jesus is if we don't cultivate healthy detachment, then we possibly mistake the pursuit of wealth or the pursuit of pleasure or the pursuit of honor or the pursuit of power as the primary good in the world, as our ultimate destiny and our ultimate fulfillment. And so Jesus says, no, 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 you have to detach from those things because they're super addictive. Right? I've, I've been, as many people have been throughout the world, I've been binge-watching Squid Game. Right? That show teaches you how addictive the pursuit of money is and what you would do, possibly. Right? I grow myself. I was thinking my whole self, what would I do in this situation? Right? It throws you right in to the fact that money, the pursuit of, of, of acquisition of money, would make us do incredible things when it's the primary good. Right? And so that's hard. Detachment is the next step, right? And that's what this guy doesn't have yet. He's too, he's too addicted to his money. Right? He doesn't have that. And eventually the apostles kind of are like, Jesus, if this is the criteria, like no one's getting in. Right? They say that. Like, then who can be saved? Like, you're you're losing us here. And he says. It's very hard, but it's impossible with God. In other words, by grace, the wealthy can cultivate detachment from wealth. Those who desire pleasure can cultivate detachment from pleasure. Those who are addicted to honor and prestige can cultivate detachment from that. Those who are inclined to power can eventually use that power and learn to use that power by God's grace for its proper purposes. It's possible with God's grace, but it's hard precisely because we can become so addicted and mistake those things as the primary goods and the primary things that fulfill us. So that second stage in the sports analogy is kind of like, okay, I know the rules and the basic skills of the game, but how do I acquire the things necessary to to to, to live those out or to practice those out in their fullness. Right? The good athlete who knows the basic skills and rules of the game eventually though has to learn that there are things outside of tennis, like our diet and our nutrition, positive values that have to be cultivated for us right, to grow in, in excellence uh, in that thing. The final D is discipleship. He says, after you've given away your possessions, he says, then come follow me. So knowing the guardrails and the rules are not enough, even cultivating a healthy detachment from the goods of this world are not enough, then you have to go live with God. You've got to play the game. It's not enough to know the, 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 the rules and the skills, cultivate the virtues that could make you a good tennis player. You've got to play the game. 
Jesus says, you've got to come live with me. You've got to go to school with me. You've got to sit and listen to me and make me your primary mentor. You've got to want to be my friend. You've got to spend time with me. Right? That's the final phase right, of, of what Jesus says in the gospel is required for mature discipleship. Right? Following the commandments, the Decalogue, cultivating a healthy sense of detachment, Right? And discipleship, actually living with Jesus, and spending time with him, listening to him as our primary master and teacher. I was thinking, obviously, I gravitate to the sports analogies, uh, but in the Christian spiritual tradition, there's a long-standing idea of seeing the three stages of our interior spiritual life as the purgative the illuminative and the unitive. That that's the three stages. That the first thing we have to do is purge ourselves from any major obstacles we have to God's grace growing within us. The second is the illuminative, to have our, our minds and our hearts illuminated, enlightened by how God sees the world, to see things from God's perspective. And the final thing is unitive, to live in union with God, in friendship with God. And I think that is sort of captured in this threefold walk that Jesus does with the rich young man today. The commandments are the foundation. You've got to follow them to make sure that you're purging yourself of all the major roadblocks that you put in the way of God's grace growing within you. But then you've got to cultivate detachment, seeing the world from God's point of view, knowing that God is our ultimate fulfillment and good, and that anything we try to put in that place will ultimately not lead to our satisfaction and fulfillment. And then finally, the unitive is just like discipleship. It's, it's cultivating union with God, being comfortable resting in him, and just being in his presence and letting his presence be absorbed uh, into who uh, we become. So friends, I hope uh, you let yourself be unsettled by this rich young man. Because I think if we knew him today, we would say he's right on the, the right path. He's just a good guy, good person. Right? I could imagine a great obituary being right, written about him. But Jesus says he's lacking still. He hasn't reached the heights of mature discipleship with regard to detachment and discipleship. He's got the commandment part down. He hasn't reached the heights of detachment and discipleship. I think it's a challenge for us, not that all of these happen in the linear way that Jesus describes them, right? We're all battling with these on sort of different wavelengths. Like maybe we're still struggling with certain commandments, but we've grown in some detachment or discipleship, right? We're, we're sort of all over the place sometimes with these three elements. It's not always linear, right? But I think the important thing is to wrestle with them, to see how we're doing in that life of grace that the Lord uh, calls us to. I think it's, it's a passage that cuts me to the heart because I realize my spiritual inadequacy still in, so, in those areas where I'm still not living up to the standard that Jesus calls us to. It's a difficult one, but one he says that is possible with God's grace. Nothing is impossible with God, he says. So let's allow God's grace to transform us, convert us, so that we might grow right, in the Decalogue the detachment and the discipleship, the purgative, the illuminative, and the unitive, and grow in our deep relationship with the Lord.